absence is as much a part of my work as that which is present. And I'm often trying to use what is present to make you think about what isn't there. And so that's been a struggle within myself through grad school as well of, of resisting to put all of the information there. It's much more interesting to me when a suggestion of something is there and um, you know, you're allowed to uh, imagine and experiment with what could be there. So that's where the traces um, and the glimpses of other thoughts and areas come into, into play. Welcome to the Studio Break Podcast. I'm your host, David Linaway. For today's 190th episode, I'm pleased to be joined by Brooke Alexander, who spoke with me from Oxford, Mississippi. We talked all about her development as an artist, her background in literature, and how that influenced her painting and the narratives within her figurative-based works. Again, she has a solo exhibition up right now at the University of Mississippi. Her show is called Siage, and that runs through the 27th, and we'll talk about that coming up in this interview, so stay tuned. If you're joining us for the first time, Studio Break is a podcast and blog site. We feature all sorts of artists. They come on, they discuss their work, and you can listen to it, their thoughts right there with the default player. Just click that episode and you can be on your way. You can also find more information for the artists by clicking those links to their websites and Instagram accounts, so please be sure and do that. You can also subscribe to the podcast by clicking that iTunes link, so we hope that you enjoy today's episode. Just a reminder that our 2018 Studio Break competition is now open to all graduate and undergraduate level artists. So if you are currently enrolled in a studio program or fine art program and you are a MA, MFA, or BA, BFA, you should apply. Once again, it's quite simple. You just submit a small fee, a web link, and or 10 images and an artist statement as a PDF, and you are all set. This year, our juror is Brian Frink. He is the chair of the art department at Minnesota State University. He's a contemporary artist and director of Raqqa and Raqqa Gallery, which is Rural America Contemporary Art. We're very excited to have him juror this year, and he wants to see amazing work. So please get your applications in today. It's super straightforward. And once again, if you know anybody, any colleagues or students, anyone that would be interested, please share this opportunity. We'd really appreciate it. Lastly, be sure to follow our social media presence. Of course, you can like our Facebook page. We have plenty of updates there. You can also find us on Twitter at Studio Break and on Instagram at Studio underscore Break. So please be sure to follow us there as well. Here is our episode with Brooke Alexander. So please stay tuned. Welcome to Studio Break. Brooke Alexander, how are you this evening? I'm great. How are you, Dave? Excellent, excellent. And, uh, of course, I think you probably maybe know uh, the wonderful Chicago suburbs uh, that I'm uh, speaking with you from. So where are you at uh, currently? I am in Oxford, Mississippi. Um, I'm going to grad school at the University of Mississippi, so that's where I am right now. It's not too long ago that I became uh, familiar with your work through one of our uh, competition entries. So, again, very nice to have you on at this point. We usually do a lot of background and you know get to know our artists a little bit. So maybe we could just start there and, and you could kind of tell us a little bit about where, you know, where you're from and where you grew up. And um, we can kind of uh, dive into your past uh, from there. 
Yeah, that sounds great. Um, I was born and raised in Athens, Alabama. Uh, sort of learned art as I was coming up through grade school, middle school, high school. I went to Calhoun Community College for two years and then transferred to Athens State University where I received a BA in studio art and a minor in English. That's sort of the, the large overcap of my education there. And then I'm a, um, an MFA painting candidate at the University of Mississippi. So finishing that up right now. Again, I'm just kind of curious then. So in terms of kind of growing up, what kind of art experiences uh, did you have? Because again, it, it seems that like it ranges, ranges uh, you know, for artists, you know, quite a bit. I think for, for me, I have a few memories where I was too young to read, but I really can't remember when I didn't draw. And so I drew a lot growing up. Um, no one in my family is an artist. My mom is a seamstress. So she's the kind of artist in a different way. My grandmother really instilled a deep love for reading and literature in me that um, sort of to this day, I have this great appreciation for literature. I got my minor in it. And so um, I took art classes in school. I didn't really start painting until middle and high school. And then it, it was, I always knew that I wanted to do art, but uh, it wasn't really until I started college that I became wholeheartedly invested in painting. Mm-hmm. But it is something that I've just always done. Also kind of mentioned a couple of times, uh, again, this kind of passion for, for literature and reading. I mean, what, what kind of books um, were you kind of interested in as a, as a kid? I'm just kind of curious, or maybe, and again, when I say kid, that could be a loose term from, you know, reading age to, you know, grade school, high school kind of stuff. But I know that since you had that minor, I would imagine there might be a component in terms of the way that you maybe even think about making work now. I don't know. Yeah, no, it absolutely is. Um, I have a really wide range of, um, of literature that I read. I sort of uh, have started focusing on, um, well, 19th century British studies was my favorite class in undergrad. But I read Mark Twain. um, I read American classics and British classics. I'm not as up-to-date on modern literature as I should be, probably. Um, But I I read a really wide variety. But it absolutely has influenced my art. And I think it was at, when I started college, they, they had these two obsessions of art and um, English, but they had always been two separate things in my head. And I had wonderful professors at um, both the community college and at Athens State, and it was there that I started to sort of figure out how these two things fit together in my head. Um, and that's just developed as I've been in grad school here at Ole Miss. And I'm curious then, you know, so, so, you know, when you kind of left high school and, and, you know, started, uh, you know, community college, were you kind of like set that you knew you wanted to do something creative in terms of, I don't know, even writing or, or painting or drawing or whatnot? Or is that something that you kind of learned through that experience of taking classes? And I don't know, it's, it's just weird because you, you know, like I think back to what, uh, where my head was at when I was, you know, wrapping up high school and I had no idea that I'd be doing what I'm doing now. You know, like I, I honestly don't even, I think I wanted to be a high school art teacher. And then I, I don't know, I really kind of gravitated toward painting, uh, in a, in a quick way. Yeah. I don't know if I knew that I really wanted to be an artist. I didn't know anyone who was an artist really. You know, I had had teachers in, in middle and high school, but I think I just kind of saw them as, as 
you know, like all of my other teachers, that was just the subject they had chosen and they weren't really out in the art world per se. So I don't know that I really understood fully to what it was to be an artist. Mm-hmm. People do question me when I tell them that I've never changed my major because I have friends who changed it four or five times, you know. But no, there was no doubt going into college that that's what I wanted to major in. And then English was just the natural minor because it was my second greatest interest. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it's a little bit of a strange pairing. Um, I don't think I've met anyone. I know that there's other people out there, but I don't think I've met anyone with that combination. It's a little bit strange because artists don't always um, think in written word. Uh, but I, I do in a, in a great deal so of my work. So. Yeah, and again, um, graduate school especially has that focus as well, too, you know, in terms of just all the, all the things that you're writing, you know, maybe research papers or all the thesis statements and, you know, thinking about your work. I would imagine, again, that's actually like a nice advantage, you know, as I even was joking around with my students quite a bit. I mean, I was like the worst written slash verbal communicator at 18 years <laughs> old, you know. So it's it's just weird because you you write all these papers and you know are, you think about how you're presenting your work and it really does kind of help you kind of distill what you're most interested in. I think you know. Yeah, it does, and it it has definitely served me well, especially in research papers. I do find um, I have a really hard time writing about my own work. I can write pretty easily about other people's work and art history papers and and whatnot. Um, but finally, in this third year of grad school, it's becoming easier, and I think that's simply because my um, my ideas are becoming more cohesive and, you know, more fully formed. So, so I guess in terms of like where you were starting out, in terms of those initial classes, I'm, I'm sure you then had you know like some of these experiences already making art, you know, as, as you're starting. But I'm kind of curious then, were you always kind of drawn to, I guess, working representationally? And you know, obviously, like in a drawing one class, that's what that focus is on. But is that something that w- kind of appealed to you to kind of work, um, you know, from from life or from representation? Representation has been something that I've always been drawn towards. I think I learned to like abstract work. It wasn't something that was born in me to like it, but I've definitely become much more attracted to it and have done attempted to do abstract pieces in college. But drawing from life, I had never, no one had ever encouraged me to do that until college. And so in drawing one and drawing two, drawing two especially because we started drawing from the figure from life. That really became a sort of foundation for a lot of the things that my work is today. I absolutely loved drawing and painting from life. Yeah, that that made a huge effect on me and changed my work in a drastic way. And again, to kind of consider, you know, like a timeline slash lineage of this, you know, did you did you wind up getting like an associates or something like that in terms of your community college experience before transferring? Is that is that essentially what happened or? I didn't get an associates. Um, it would have taken me a semester longer and Athens State allowed me to just transfer with the credits that I had. They just had a credit um, uh, level to reach. And so, um, I have a BA. I do not have a BFA because Athens State doesn't offer it. You know, what kind of paintings did you, uh, finish, um, or kind of like work out in a series, uh, by the time that you were, you were finished with that experience? The, the human figure has always been my favorite subject. 
And so at the end of my undergrad program, I was really focused on trying to develop the figure and um, was really interested in the emotional state of the person. So I, the work became about these intense, exaggerated feelings that were displayed on the face. And so they were portraits of different people. And it was really the first time that I had, that it was my work from start to finish. I um, would schedule an appointment with the person that I wanted to paint. I photographed them and then worked from that. So really from start to finish, that was the first time that a body of work that had happened that way for me. And I'm just kind of curious then too. So like in terms of like, were there particular settings or, you know, environments that you've been kind of like drawn to, uh, you know, paint these series of paintings? The backgrounds were, um, uh, were just sort of invented. And now looking back at my undergrad work, I kind of think, you know, I knew nothing about backgrounds. Um, but at that moment in my, in my life and my schooling, uh, my professors didn't really stress it. I think they were just letting me do the most that I could do at that moment in time. So the backgrounds and the settings weren't really what I was concerned with. I was really just focused on the face of the um, of the individual that I was painting. And that's, that's a thing that I learned really early on in grad school, that every part of the painting matters. And I don't feel like I learned that fully in undergrad. And I'm kind of curious then, too, because you talked a little bit about, about, you know, like kind of almost like an emotion or kind of like capturing an emotion. I'm curious in terms, too, of like the the color schemes. I mean, was it like, you know, super intense colors, kind of like a muted kind of naturalistic palette or, you know, because, you know, I've I've got what we can look at now, which is, again, um, got a, you know, a huge range, you know, in, in terms of that. So I'm just kind of curious, you know, I'm imagining in my head what these portraits look like, so... Yeah, they were on the brighter side. It d- it depended on each one. I did eight of them for my for my final project. But yeah, they were definitely more bright than the work that I'm doing now. My palette has become more muted. My flesh tones were a little bit more acidic too, not intentionally. But looking back, I can see that you know uh, my flesh tones were not always accurate. Well, and so you wrap up this experience. How did you wind up coming to Oxford then? I mean, was there an experience that you had that kind of drew you there in terms of looking for different programs? I know, again, just based on my own experience, um, it doesn't always seem fun uh, (laughs) trying to figure out where you're going to (laughs) move. Yeah, it's a little bit overwhelming. Um, But I had decided that I wanted to go to grad school. And so really I was looking for programs that offered MFAs in painting um, and that Um, at least, you know, some of the main professors were dabbling in representational art because I didn't want to go to a program that really focused on abstract work because that wasn't what I was wanting to do. I had an English professor at Calhoun Community College who I just adore, Dr. Randy Cross, and he got his PhD here. And so he talks about Ole Miss all of the time in his lectures. And so just out of curiosity, I looked it up online and they have an MFA in painting. And so I came and toured and I met Philip Jackson and that was what cemented my desire to come here was meeting him, just really wanting to, to work and study under him. Usually there's like a interesting transition that happens when you start um, your graduate experience. And you kind of alluded to that a little bit earlier in terms of maybe kind of piecing together the um, some various components of your work. But what was that initial experience like when you're you know, going for, you know, moving to a new place and kind of meeting all these new people. Yeah. I think that one thing, I don't have a BFA. 
Um, and in, in my experience, most people that go into grad school do have a BFA. So I feel like I wasn't as together in my work as um, some of my other colleagues here. I just, I just didn't have that last fifth year. I had only had four years um, of working at the college level. And so, yeah, it was, it was um, a bit of a shock, but uh, no one told me that grad school was um, quite as intense as it is, but um, it's, it's been an absolutely amazing experience. And I'm just kind of curious then, so how, how many are there in uh, your, your program uh, overall? Is there a, like a big mass of people or is it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, our program is really small. Each area can only have four graduate students. And so um, when I entered the program, including me, there were three graduate painters. Because of that, because there's so few of us, the professors get to work with us in a really special way. They really do know us and our work and our tendencies and are really able to push us in, in the best possible way to develop um, artistically. You know, but we were just talking about that kind of like last series of paintings, um, you know, that you made before starting, you know, this this program. You know, I guess what were the, was that initial experience like in terms of maybe that first year in terms of like, you know, how you were kind of shaking up your paintings to... to slowly kind of evolve them a little bit closer to maybe where they are now where I, i'd imagine just like everyone you know there's plenty of there's plenty of bad months it seems like sometimes where you're just like i don't know what i'm doing um but i'm just kind of curious what, what was some of the experimentation like and what were you working on yeah there's definitely uh, a lot of months where i did not know what i was doing and i still have a lot of that now but um so this is my third year here. And at the same time, it feels like I've been here two months and forever. And so <laughs> backtracking in my mind is hard some days. So the second year was when my work changed most drastically. First year, they kind of let you settle in and start to push you. But the second year is where you're really pushed, both in your theory and um, in your technicality. My first year, it was really just you know, learning to work with the professors here, moving to a different place and learning the town and getting used to all of the other grad students. The second year, um, I didn't work in color that first semester. I started working in charcoal and um, black and white paint with raw canvases. Um, I started timing myself with the figures to get um, really trying to expand my brush strokes. Yeah, and second year was also when they really pushed me to start working exclusively from life. And so that was a process that I went through, too. I had been kind of using the excuse of how how do I have a model all of the time, you know? And so obviously you can't. And so they were just, you know, you just have to make things work. And so that was one of the reasons I had models come in for an hour. And so I was working at this breakneck pace to get as much information down in one hour as I could. And then that was it. That was all I had. And then I had to work with what, what I had, um, during that hour. And so I grew a lot in that semester artistically. And then I got color back in that second semester of the second year. And my work was really, really changed from that black and white semester coming back into color really more appreciating and understanding it more fully, I think. Well, and I would imagine, and even in terms of like how you're going to compose and organize, you know, one, one of these paintings or even just like, the, again, kind of 
going from working with photographs to working with live models. There's so many variables. Yeah, it absolutely was. Um, and then I think at the same time in the second year, so there, there were so many things in the second year, I was still really trying to figure out how English fit in with my art or literature rather. I think so literarily a lot of times. And so that year as well, the second year, I got to do an independent study with an English professor on campus. And I started studying the structure of novels. More specifically, I was working with William Faulkner novels, Bronte's Wuthering Heights. And so really understanding the structure of how they write those those novels and then for that independent study class, I was doing paintings based or built around the structure that I was getting from the novels. And that's really when things started to click that have now become more cohesive in my thesis work. You've talked a little bit about your literary influences. I'm just kind of curious then, too, were, were there a lot of artists that you were kind of like, again, when you're around other graduate students, it seems like everybody's like, here, look at this. Do you know about this person? You know, teachers, uh, you know, and, and the like. So I'd imagine, too, you're kind of, you know, searching and looking for, you know, new artists that you maybe kind of weren't as, as aware of previously either. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't, um, I never did find um, maybe specific artists that, were involving literature and art as much as I do. But the, the painters that I'm really drawn towards are those who are working from life and the ones who have this sort of humility with their subjects, this sort of raw honesty in their brushwork, like Walter Sickert, Gwen John, Edwin Dickinson. Edwin Dickinson's a huge influence on my work, both in his content and his, um, his palette. Well, and you were talking about a little while ago, you know, how the how the, the series of work that you're making, you know, prior to all these experiences, focusing mostly on the portraits and then kind of working through, uh, you know, like a period of just no color. But one of the other things we talked about was like maybe the setting or the background and maybe how that was kind of incorporated into the work. So I'm, I'm curious then, you know, how, how do you formulate these paintings now? Because, again, there's, again, a, a figure included. I guess I would first ask then, are they... Are they all based off of life then, or are they kind of combined from different experiences? Or All of them are based off of life, yes. Um, I have models come in, and um, each one varies as to the, mo- the amount of painting from life that's in them. I do finish them from photographs most of the time just because I really don't have access to the models, um, you know, at, at the times when I need them. Um, but I try to base as much as my works um, from life as possible. But I think coming in, um, as I said before, my, my undergrad work really lacked space in the background. And I don't think I realized that coming in, but that was something that I was sort of, sort of pushed to figure out this space that's in the background. And it's, um, become integral to my, to my paintings. Now it's all about the figure in the space and in different spaces. And so I usually start with the figure and I have a sort of idea of what the space is going to look like, but my paintings tend to really sort of naturally grow as I work in them and I change them a lot from the original plan as I'm working through them and 
adding all these spaces with the figure in them and interacting with each other. Is there like a particular process that you wind up, you know, using? I mean, are you doing like preliminary drawings or based on the way that you're describing since you're, you know, working or at least starting them from direct observation and then starting to kind of like create these settings? I'm just kind of curious because like there, there's some different settings. So there's there's uh, one that I'm looking at, um, which is currently Untitled 3, yet to be titled. Um, yeah. But it looks almost like it's like in kind of like an attic or kind of storage space, whereas like, say, Untitled 1 looks like... Like it's um, maybe like almost like a, a bedroom interior. So I'm just kind of curious then in terms of the settings, are they kind of informed by, you know, the location of where you start these paintings or are they kind of imagined or, I don't know, a combination of different experiences, I guess? Yeah, all of them are kind of combinations. I do usually, the figure is the first thing that goes down on the canvas, but I do preliminary sketches just from Um, my imaginings of how it's going to look and then I get the figure in and um, usually just do a few charcoal marks on the on the canvas and then jump right in to painting from life but it, it is a really I have no consistent process really as far as an order of the way that things happen I treat each painting a little differently and you kind of described like a, a series where you're kind of like working through like a certain type of structure you know, in terms of these works that you're, you know, working on towards your thesis, then is there like a particular, you know, structure or idea in terms of like, say, the central figure in relationship to like the, you know, the interior that they might be in or, you know, some of the things that are kind of in that interior? I think so. Um, I've been really focusing on going back to the literature because it is always in my head. Faulkner's novels are they're built around this stream of consciousness and so the sort of way that he writes them he has these thoughts in the novels that interrupt and confuse themselves and you really have to concentrate to figure out what on earth he's talking about and then Bronte's Wuthering Heights is structured where it's a story being told to someone who then hears another part of the story from someone else And then he's telling part of the story that's being read by you. And so both Faulkner and Bronte, in my opinion, have these sort of intentionally uncertain narrators. And that's how I want my paintings to read, because I'm wanting the the spaces to be physical spaces, but I'm merging all of these different spaces to disjoint the space on the canvas, because I'm trying to make them reflect the the thought life of the figure. And so jumping from the way that our minds work from one thought to another where sometimes we never finish a single thought at all. Yeah, and it's it's interesting too because like the interiors start to kind of feel specific but then that might just entirely be based on, you know, the person viewing them. And I, I know that, again, we, we think of the viewer, you know, we talk about the viewer all, all the time. And that's, you know, something that you can't help is to kind of bring your, your past, you know, to a painting or, you know, some art that you're kind of experiencing. But there's kind of like this looseness that kind of, this ambiguity that, I don't know, kind of allows you to start to kind of like flesh out your own, your own narrative, I guess, if that makes sense. It makes perfect sense, yes, because that's exactly what I'm wanting you to do um, as the viewer. I think because I've been paralleling it in my head with you're given this amount of information with um, novels and literature. And 
every moment that you progress into the book or the poem or whatever it may be, each new information that you get is altering those mental images. And so I am wanting that ambiguity to be there so that you can imagine your own space. And as you sort of explore the painting, you're picking up new information, but there's no sort of certain space that keeps you in one mindset. And is that something that also like allows you to then to free associate? So you might kind of like, you know, start working on some area and then, you know, kind of come back to it and decide if you like it or, or don't like it and paint over it. That does definitely happen. Yes. A lot. What type of things do you kind of look for to kind of help guide you along in, in terms of like what you want to keep or what you want to, you know, exclude or paint over or rework? It's a complicated question. Um, <laughs> Uh, I think my second year I went through that where I did intentionally unfinished paintings. And the so, you know, the question becomes, well, how do you know when it's intentionally unfinished? And I don't know if I can if I can really specifically say it's just, um, you know, I have to just argue back and forth with myself with the paintings. And, you know, something just needs to go or it doesn't. Well, and to, to kind of give uh, get an idea, like, what are the approximate sizes of these paintings? Because I think that also kind of, you know, changes a little bit of, you know, the um, relationship with the person looking at them. They range in size, but the smallest one is a 16 by 20. And the largest one is a, um, I think it's a 4 by 4 foot. So it kind of gives us an idea, at least in terms of like that, that kind of like mid-range kind of scale, essentially. So, something that's not so tiny and detailed that, you know, you can fit it in a pocket. <laughs> right, um, definitely not, no. So interesting, too, because, again, obviously, like, you know, scaling up will kind of change some of the, you know, the nature of this, you know, kind of like room interior. And, again, you know, all throughout the paintings, there's this a lot, a lot of brushwork and, you know, color shifts and you know, kind of ways to kind of activate these these areas of the paintings that, you know, aren't just always, you know, based on using the figure or including a staircase. So I'd imagine, again, a lot of it is just something that you kind of have to kind of live with and, and kind of see a reaction, you know, from, you know, if, if you don't like something in a certain amount of time. Yeah, I'm always working on multiple paintings at once for that reason, exactly. Does it then range from like really short sessions to finish a painting versus some that take like forever. <laughs> yeah. I've been, um, I've been telling people I have a problem child painting and he's been completely repainted about three times now and he's finally starting to behave. Um, it really just depends on the painting. Some of them, you know, don't take as long as others. And some of them last the entire semester of me trying to figure out how to make them work within themselves. And so you talked a little bit about, you know, the initial setup and kind of reworking and, you know, dealing with some of these backgrounds and kind of free associating, et cetera. Like in terms of like your uh, your color scheme um, or even just kind of like the, the process of kind of working through it, are you someone that like has all, you know, a thousand colors kind of laid out on your palette, all these neutrals, or are you kind of like you know, really kind of painting on the fly, mixing on the fly. How planned out is your, your palette when you're, you're taking on one of these paintings? Um, I have a pretty regular palette that I use and it, it's pretty simple, but I, so I just mix neutrals from those. Um, I do tend to like more neutral, darker palettes. Um, 
but I'm working with a really basic palette that I'm mixing those from. And again, just because I'm a painter myself and your idea of basic might be like, uh, it's it's just again an interesting question for yeah. painters. But so how many how many colors do you do you usually have then that you're working with at a time? Um, I usually have two reds, two yellows, two blues, um, and a white. Okay, right on. So again, probably somewhere in there. It's funny because like for me, I've always had people that are encouraging me to like break out and you know really go after some of these other colors um and for me I, I don't know for some reason it just by kind of having to remix everything with the same palette there seems to be a little bit more unity in the overall like color scheme is that something that you are kind of like interested or at least i don't know for me also it seems like it's easier to get back to colors you know if you don't have every color under the sun to figure out how you made a color <laughs> yeah all these all these tempting colors to choose from but i started out um sort of three years ago with a, you know, wanting to use all of the colors and I got colors taken away from me. And so, you know, learning how to deal without colors and then being able to come back, I think I have much more of appreciation with stretching the colors that you have because you can use a really limited palette and achieve amazing colors. And so I think, I think one main reason that I use so few tubes of paint is because I'm I'm really trying to to stretch them and learn them. No, no, that makes sense completely. And again, this is probably the you know the point where sculptors will just tune out, but or sculpture students <laughs> or sculptor people. Um, but you know, again, I'm I'm just kind of you know fascinated about paint myself too. So I would imagine like again, just playing around with like the you know the warm and cool you know relative to color to kind of create more of an atmospheric space in certain areas versus things that you want to kind of like jump forward and and um, you know just to have a range within that. Yeah, and I think I'm, I have a warm and cool of each of each color. I think after grad school, I will start adding more colors to my palette, or at least experimenting with them. But it's almost like a challenge to me now. Of like I'm I'm devoted to these colors now, and I'm just determined that they can uh, make any color that I should want them to make. Um, and I do add a couple of other colors for certain things. Um, I'm a sucker for manganese blue. It's just a beautiful tone. But I also don't want to rely on, you know, of, of straight colors from the tubes just making do with them. And so, and that that's a really bad way to say that. Um, but um, I think I've just challenged myself to to use these colors and really know them as much as possible. Mm-hmm. Well, and one of the things that I that I've noticed too in some of these is that there's kind of like a, a reoccurring, almost like window kind of theme in some some aspects of them, or almost like a mirroring. Like again, there's there's a even though you probably won't remember which one is which, that <laughs> one that reminds me of an attic. You know, there's like a, a seated figure, you know, with his um, you know hands by his face, and then there's kind of a you know another kind of like outline of a figure that almost kind of looks like a trace of like i don't know like that figure moving and then there's other literal ones where there's like a window or mirroring that way where you can kind of have that kind of callback is that something that's kind of like you kind of use to kind of like add to the narrative or kind of imply a narrative or it is yeah um i started out using sort of literal windows as you've picked up on and then trying to create windows without using an actual window and using sort of 
so the window I wanted to to symbolize a sort of other world um, or other thought process rather and so it's you know it was another space that you could escape into when I think about sort of I'm trying to project these figures thoughts in almost you know physical form on the canvas and so I needed different spaces because of you know we have different spaces in our minds where different thoughts live and everything and so the trace that you talked about with the with the figure of the one that looks like an attic so the title of my thesis show is siage it's a french term and so it um it's defined as something that's left um after someone has passed through so for example it's like the the scent of someone's perfume after they're gone. And it's a word that implies both a presence and an absence. It's an invoking of something. And um, absence is as much a part of my work as that which is present. And I'm often trying to use what is present to make you think about what isn't there. And so that's been a struggle within myself through grad school as well of, of resisting to put all of the information there. It's much more interesting to me when a suggestion of something is there and, um, you know, you're allowed to uh, imagine and experiment with what could be there. So that's where the traces um, and the glimpses of other thoughts and areas come into, into play. And so, you know, to kind of think about that in these series, so how many, how many paintings are you, you know, looking to complete uh, for your thesis uh, in total? And again, that's um, open-ended, you know. I know that uh, painters especially have a tendency to like, you're like, oh, I got three more days left. I can get another one in, you know. Yes, we absolutely do that. Yeah. Um, or even, you know, paint them while they're on the gallery wall. That's been done for hundreds of years. But um, I've, I've said 10, but really the goal is just to work as much as possible, of course, to, you know, the more you work, the more refined your idea is. Can you just talk a little bit about, you know, like when you, when your show is coming up, I believe it's in a couple of weeks. Um, but yeah, just kind of give us some, some information uh, with regards to this exhibition, this thesis that's coming up. Yeah, it's coming up really soon. It's um, so it'll be up in uh, April. So April 23rd through the 27th is the week that it'll hang in the gallery on campus at Ole Miss. Um, and so, yeah, it's really soon. <laughs> <laughs> And then again, you you have your wonderful um, you know uh, defense of the show and all that glory afterwards. So that should be exciting. Yeah, it's the Tuesday of that week, and then the reception is Thursday. Excellent, excellent. And so again, you've already kind of said you're looking roughly for like ten paintings, but you never know because like a, we were just talking. Again, it's very easy to kind of want to keep going, especially it seems like when you're on a hot streak is when it's really hard, you know, not to not to. Uh, continue to ride it you know what i mean you just kind of feel like oh everything's going gelling well but i guess too considering our conversation there's there's so many things that you've got uh, you know down the road to kind of be able to explore in terms of you know new work and all sorts of things um so again it's a very exciting place to be i think yeah i'm really excited to um to see the work up in the gallery to see them all together and yeah to see where it goes you know, where can where can people see your work uh, outside of uh, this physical space? Um, I'm sure that you're all over social media and all that. So if you just want to plug all that stuff for me. 
Yeah, I'm on Facebook and I'm on Instagram. Um, it's Brooke P. Alexander. I sign B. P. Alexander. So that's that's my um, names on both of those. And um, yeah, all of my thesis work once it's completed will be posted there. But again, it's been it's been great talking to you. I'm glad that we got everything scheduled, and it was really cool to you know become familiar with her work and and to see it kind of turn into this thesis exhibition. So again, I, I really appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, thank you so much. Thanks once again to Brooke for joining me. You can check out her solo exhibition, Siage, at Gallery 130 at the University of Mississippi in Oxford. Once again, that show runs from now until the 27th of April with an opening reception of Thursday the 26th from 4.30 to 6.30. So check it out if you're in the area. And be sure to find Brooke P. Alexander on both Instagram as well as Facebook to see more work. Just a reminder that our 2018 Studio Break competition is now open to all graduate and undergraduate level artists. So if you are currently enrolled in a studio program or fine art program and you are a MA, MFA, or BA, BFA, you should apply. Once again, it's quite simple. You just submit a small fee, a web link, and or 10 images and an artist statement as a PDF, and you are all set. This year, our juror is Brian Frink. He is the chair of the art department at Minnesota State University. He's a contemporary artist and director of Raqqa and Raqqa Gallery, which is Rural America Contemporary Art. We're very excited to have him juror this year, and he wants to see amazing work. So please get your applications in today. It's super straightforward. And once again, if you know anybody, any colleagues or students, anyone that would be interested, please share this opportunity. We'd really appreciate it. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please check out the other episodes that you missed on studiobreak.com. We've got a big archive. You can, of course, listen right there or click that iTunes hyperlink. And, of course, all of our posts have images of the artist's work as well as links to their websites. So please check them out. Of course, you can find us in a variety of social media formats. So please follow our Facebook page and like it. You can check us out on Twitter at Studio Break and, of course, on Instagram at Studio underscore Break. Of course, we always like hearing from listeners, so please feel free to say hello there. I'd like to thank Skylar Mail, who provides the music at Studio Break. Please check out his website, SkylarMail.net. If you'd like to see some of my paintings, please visit DavidLinaway.com. And, of course, you can find me on Facebook, on Twitter, at DavidLinaway, and, of course, on Instagram, at DavidLinaway. So please feel free to say hello. Always great to hear from folks, and we hope that you enjoyed listening to today's episode. We'll talk to you real soon.